Greetings, Trinitarians. This podcast is possible partly because of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Evansville, Indiana. If you're interested in beginning your theological academic journey at Trinity, contact us at trinitysem, that's trinitysem.edu today. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Jonathan Pritchett, and along with me is Braxton Hunter. And today we are going to talk about inerrancy, what it is, and does it matter for apologetics. Stick around. So it's here's, not heresy. It's come on. No, it's Harris' son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now this is I I, I was not impressed. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this gentleman before, but and there is no evidence at all, except in the imagination of Dr. Braxton and like-minded thinkers that there is such a thing as an objective morality. All right, well, that was a very passionate speech by Professor Alvarez. However, let me point out a couple of things that I have not argued tonight that Professor Alvarez seems to think that I have argued. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. On behalf of humanity, God became man to die for the sin of the world. Then, because of that sacrifice, you can rise from the dead just like he rose from the dead. So we're back again for another episode of Trinity Radio, and guess what? We have a giveaway. Uh, here is a t-shirt that I ordered for myself and didn't realize that I ordered the women's uh, v-neck t-shirt for the Trinity Commission. Uh, the Trinity Commission is our podcast network, of which we are a part with several other fantastic podcasts. Soteriology uh, 101, Bible Growdown, and The Narrow Path. And we actually have them, all the Trinity Commission podcasts presently, on the back of the t-shirt. And on the front, you've got the uh, Trinity Commission logo. And it is a, you can't really see this, but it is a trademark Trinity Radio V-neck t-shirt. So if you want to be official about it, Here's what we're going to do. The next person, male or female, because we're not going to make those calls. uh, (laughs) We are going to call it you are either male or female. But but the next human who contacts us and, uh, let's say, pledges $25 or more okay, uh, per month on Patreon. Or an existing patron who ups their giving. uh, Yeah, Yeah, up to $25 a month. We'll receive the uh, Trinity Commission. I mean, maybe you're a dude, but you got a wife that is a big fan of uh, Leighton Flowers and his gorgeous face, or uh, maybe uh, you No, here's the deal. For whatever reason... You got a little girl, and you want to get her started right. No, here's the deal. For whatever reason, and no, there's no way on God's green earth that you and I are the best-looking members of the Trinity Commission by lots. We're not. That's probably Leighton Flowers and... Uh, Billy and Matt. Speak for yourself, pal. No, you're you're not. Trust me. There's an article going around about bald men are sexy or whatever, and it shows Jason Statham. And and doesn't even need to be written. uh, But that's (laughs) goes without saying. That's to make y'all feel better. It's not because it's true. Um, For whatever reason, though, even though we're not the best looking guys, um, wives of Trinity Radio fans like our show more than any other show. Moreover, also wives and girlfriends do, and, and, and more correlation is not causation. Right, but, but what's interesting is one of those wives is actually married to a, a Bible Bro Down host, 
And uh, Sarah Winland will watch our show, but not watch Billy and Matt. I just like that. Uh, that makes me happy. Uh, my favorite Trinity. That doesn't make you happy. My, it does. Yeah, my Trinity. My favorite Trinity Radio primetime discussion comment this week. I won't say who, but someone said. Someone wrote a thing about whatever, and then put at the bottom hashtag bearded apologists are hot, and that was in the Trinity Radio primetime discussion group. Just made my day. Did that make your day? You're a bearded apologist. Okay. Uh, well, th- there is actually a person called the bearded apologist, they, Dylan Manley. No, well, that's our true. very own Trinity. Uh, but I don't think she would have said that about him. No. Not that he. Not that you're not hot, Dylan. I don't make those judgment calls any more than I make the judgment calls about whether a person is male or female who gets this T-shirt. All I'm saying is I don't think she knows who he is yet. Okay. But we need to fix that. We need Dylan to have a show too. On on uh, as we want Dylan uh, to join the Trinity Commission. Even. We also got criticized by a, a, a possibly current and definitely former listener of the show who thinks that there's too much bro talk. His words on on our show that we that that we that we do this too much. That we yeah. shoot the bull too much instead right. of getting right into the argumentation and the biblical data. And I understand. Um, but that's the great thing about a pre-recorded podcast is just yeah. skip all that stuff. You can just know that the first five to ten minutes of any Trinity Radio episode is going to be blah, blah, yeah. blah, us doing this. Yeah, and I, I, I really feel for the guy because part of the problem is is that... I don't hold anything against him. He's no, probably right. No, yeah, he... Well, that, but that's the thing. I feel sorry for him because he's working against the overwhelming number of reviewers who say that's their favorite part of the, of the show is just the interaction, not really what we're talking. Nobody cares. What it's not the first time we heard it. We heard yeah. it from one other guy. Oh, is it? Yeah, we, we have heard it from at least two people now. Look, we need to want, shut up and start right, doing and the Right, and if you want that, uh, I encourage you, you can have as much of just us being dry as dust if you audit courses at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, which we encourage all of our listeners to do. It's a very I don't think reasonable it's dry price. as dust. And for free. No, for I'm free. boring. If I you want apologetics boring. or Bible and you want it for free and you want only that without a lot of hemming and hawing and, and telling about stories, then guess what? Go check out my Genesis commentary. That's all it is. You know, I mean, it's it's like it's not like we don't have stuff out there that's that, right? Right. And but I know the person, and I know it came from a good place, and I don't entirely disagree with him. So I do appreciate the the comment. The only reason I bring it up now is in case there are other people out there that would like to voice that criticism. Go ahead and voice that in an email to jpritchett at trinitysim.edu. <laughs> yes. jpritchett at trinitysim.edu. And I promise you, you will get the same level of interaction as our commenters no, no, on no, YouTube. I, I, I love to hear these things. <laughs> I love to hear from people yeah. about criticisms. And, and I will engage those criticisms as much as I engage the YouTube commenters. Well, all right. Um, what are we talking about today? Okay, here's the thing. This is the new season. Jonathan is at the helm. You'll Look, notice there are two computers if you're watching yes, by YouTube. The, the prime thing is back and here now. I have to, I have to, we have limited space. So he's kind of driving this ship. He's choosing the topics. If you don't like them, again, jpritchett at trinitysim.edu. <laughs> yes, and, and when I pick the topics, the viewership goes down to the commode. Uh, it's correlation, but, not necessarily causation. No, it's, it's causation. causation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> let's just, let's just, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, what they, what so they want is you to pick the topics and me to make fun of it the whole oh, time. By the way, but, if you're a new patron, I don't know that we got any new patrons since last week, but if we did, just know I'm not reading the patron list today, 
but I even though you pay to get your name shouted out, we're well, not they, they've it. all been shouted out, and they'll continue to be shouted out. But we can't do it every week. It's a it's it's a it's a somewhat lengthy list now. Good, that's good, and it doesn't mean we're anywhere near the goal we have. But it's a somewhat lengthy list now, so I'm not going to do it this episode. I'm going to shout out a new Patreon, Xavier German. He shout. might be a new he's one a, from last new, week. Yeah, he's a new X, one. So he goes by X. He goes by X. And so, X, what's up, buddy? Uh, thanks for uh, like X. supporting us. Yeah, he's a youth pastor. It's like awesome. Him. All right, so, uh, inerrancy. Inerrancy. I, I, this is one of the um, issues that yeah, you read um, here recently, the Five Views on Inerrancy book. Um, mm-hmm. Do you recommend that book? I recommend sure. the book. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Um I think most people um, in our circles would affirm Al Mohler's perspective in that book. Uh, you know, he kind of defends the the late 70s uh, Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, which we're going to get to. Um, but unfortunately, he didn't do the position very much justice in that book. He and, took some lumps in that book. Yeah, and, and well uh, and he took some serious lumps at on stage a few years ago when all the authors were on stage having a roundtable discussion. Oh, on, I didn't on, know about on, that. On ET, at ETS, yeah. Um, the authors in that book? Yeah. Uh, okay. you know probably the one time Peter ends darkening you know the doing door at during at, lunchtime. ETS. Well, I mean, you have to get it on Word MP3 and it's I don't know, it's like 3 or 4 dollars to get the to get it, but never mind. <laughs> it's worth hearing. Watching the bro down. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was listening to the bro down, and they, they, you ever watch Star Wars, uh, Empire Strikes Back, where Leia half the time says Han and half the time says Han? Mm-hmm. It's never consistent. They try to fix that in the Solo movie. Oh, did they? Well, have you seen Solo? Yeah. They had Lando calling him Han, and it kept annoying him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, she kept going back and forth. Well, anyway, uh, the bro down in their latest episode kept going back and forth on omnipotence and omnipotence. <laughs> so, Someone was saying omnipotence, uh, they, but they would catch themselves. They would catch it. That's po- funny. Uh, omnip- yeah, I'm going to use that now and just act like that's the way it goes. Well, if you ever watch Chris Fisher's um, reality, God is open. Whatever he he says, omniscient. Omnip- <laughs> is that what he says? <laughs> no, he says omnipotent. Um, God's omnipotent and omniscient. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so uh, to start off, uh, the case. Uh, that you will hear from people like Al Mohler, Paige Patterson, Norman Geisler, all, the, all the, these guys, um, they'll say inerrancy is described as the doctrine by which evangelicalism stands or falls. Do you agree with that? I'm going to start there. Do you think evangelicalism... Define evangelicalism. Uh, the way they define it. How do they... I don't know what I'm... I need to know Okay, what well, they're going to say if you're Mike Lacona, you're not an evangelical, even if Mike Lacona says he's an evangelical. If you're Michael Byrd, uh, they're going to say he's not an evangelical, even if he calls himself an evangelical. If you're Craig Evans, you're not an evangelical, even if you say you're an evangelical. Because what are even, you? Evangelical is somebody who is No, going what to, are you if you're not that? Uh, they'll then. call you a moderate or a liberal or whatever. Or so there's no such thing as a moderate evangelical? Well... Uh, are we getting ahead of ourselves? Conservative, a little bit. Conservative evangelicals would say no because their thing is if you don't affirm the Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy, um, well, they'll admit that all kinds of people are calling themselves evangelicals, and you'll see articles like, "Will the real evangelicals real, uh, please stand up?" and all this other stuff. I'll say it's a staple of evangelicals. I don't care. Like, who cares? Well, 
Um, like you, I, only, I care, you care what's about, true. If I don't you, care. But if you what... care about evangelicalism as a subculture of American Christianity, I do. I do. They're going to say, then you should care about this. It's the doctrine. I do care about which, inerrancy. It's the doctrine by which evangelicalism stands or falls. And if evangelicalisms become more like Mike Lacona or Craig Evans, then evangelicalism will fall, collapse into liberalism, and everybody will hate Jesus. It depends on your definition of inerrancy. And I'm not just being difficult. Like, there are lots of definitions yeah, for Yeah, well, I'm glad. You, I mean, and lots you know, of statements on inerrancy. Well, there's the Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy, which is kind no, of... No, there are other statements on There are, but there's that, and that's what they're going to say. Do you affirm this? That's your litmus test for yeah. evangelicalism. I don't know. I have to think about that. Are you going to... Are you willing to screen out others from the club who don't affirm? I don't... <clears throat> no. No. Well, I don't screen out Mike Lycona. Well, yeah, but a lot of the old But you lumped him together with who else? Craig Evans. Would you... Craig Blomberg. No, Daryl Bach. No. no everyone on... These are evangelical. I'm talking about people on... Every, everyone who's it's, on... Norm- evangelicalism is kind of like what they say about pornography. Okay, well... You know, like they say it's hard to define pornography, but, but you, you know, know it when you see, see it. it. Yeah, okay. That's how I feel about evangelicalism. But, all right, take everybody, uh, Daryl Bach, William Lane Craig, yeah. everyone on Norman Geisler's naughty list. These are evangelicals. Right, but they would say if even... No, I'm answering you. You asked me what yeah, I think. And it, but the claim is... If they, if we accept their understandings of inerrancy, whether they signed the Chicago Statement or not, Norman mm-hmm. Geisler doesn't care. He's saying, and the Geisler types are saying, they don't affirm inerrancy even if they say they do. Um, okay. And so if more people become like that, then like Norman Geisler and Al Mohler and Paige Patterson and, and um, I can't remember, the guy who accused Michael Byrd of being British, even though he's Australian, some guy at, that gave a speech at John MacArthur's school. If, if you're like them, or N.T. Wright or something, evangelicalism will collapse, and we'll all be liberals. Okay. Well, I mean, do you, do you understand what people mean by yeah. the doctrine by which the church are evangelical? All right, so justification during the Reformation was, was, justification is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. And, of course, with the new perspective coming along, they're like, uh, no. In the early church, they would have said, even though this, you know, if we took Luther's slogan and transplanted it back in the early church, they would have said Christology is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls, right? Because that was the big issue then. So can evangelicalism survive evangelical people? You would call evangelicals dismissing either inerrancy altogether or the Chicago Statement on biblical inerrancy. Inerrancy altogether is a separate question from what some people wrote in the 1900s in what they call the Chicago Statement, and that being some kind of monolithic uh, thing. I I, I don't think that if you don't affirm the the Chicago Statement, it means you're not evangelical. Uh, If you deny any form of inerrancy... uh, This is why I like to use... I'm an inerrantist, but I I prefer the term... Uh, authority. Because while I'm an inerrantist, and I may agree with the Chicago statement, the fact is, I do want people, I don't know if you're an evangelical, if you don't affirm the authority of Scripture. And all of those guys you just mentioned would would affirm the authority of Scripture. Uh, Well, interesting that you you said that, because when we're talking about um, the authority of Scripture... Are you having a stroke? um, No. I'm, I'm I'm new with Working with this, you got to get you got to get with the program. Okay, no, the, okay. You said the, you're more concerned about the authority of scripture than the inerrancy. Of no, scripture. that's not what I said. Oh, I said I am an inerrantist, and I'm fine with the Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy. However, if you're asking me to assess 
these other characters and whether or not we should consider them uh, evangelicals. I think it's more important that it's it's important that to know whether they consider the Bible authoritative. Okay, well, do you agree with this statement then? The authority of Scripture is inescapable. Yes, you are on trial. You represent. This is supposed you to be my season to chill. Southern Baptist. I need to sit yes. back with my iced tea you've and got a coffee to, you've cup. Got to, you've got to be the the spokesman for the Geisler team. Okay, no, I'm not. Well, don't say that because everyone thinks that way of you. You know. You've, you've got to be the guy who says, shut up, Pritchett, because i got to be the, the guy who... I feel a little bit bamboozled here. You are being bamboozled. I feel a little bit, I, like, sprung upon. No, you're the guy that has... You're the straight man. You've got you've to you've make all this make sense for people. That's what I'm saying. So it's not like a trial. I'm just asking if you agree with this statement. Okay. The authority of Scripture is inescapably impaired if this total divine inerrancy is in any way limited or disregarded or made relative to a view of truth contrary to the Bible's own. And such lapses bring serious loss to both the individual and the church. This is point number five in the short statement of the Chicago uh, Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, that you have impaired the authority of Scripture if you don't affirm the total d- divine inerrancy of Scripture. My, my be- Here's what I'll say. My belief is that the Bible is completely without error in all that it intends to teach. The classic example is with the mustard seed, right? The mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. Well, those people dealt with regularly. He wasn't teaching botany, right? He wasn't talking about if you found everything considered and classified as a seed on planet Earth, there's nothing smaller than the mustard seed. That wasn't the point. But what what was being taught was true and without error. I believe the Bible is is without error in all that it intends to teach. Okay, because we're podcast junkies, right, mm-hmm. and you watch a lot of apologetics debates and stuff, okay, I've heard William Lane Craig say that one thing, at one point in this statement it says the Bible is inerrant in everything it says, and another place uh, he talks about where it says everything that it teaches, and right. he says he doesn't like both of those words being like used. Like they're synonymous. Right. That's the point I'm making right now. Right. I, I know what they're, I think I know what they're trying to say, and yeah. it's, I think it's what I'm saying. That it's without error in all that it intends to teach. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, evangelical. That's my statement. Yeah. My, my statement. You ask me on, what I think. Yeah. My statement is probably a little bit more loosey goosey than that. My, my statement is the Bible is inerrant in everything that it says and the ways and means that it intends to say it. And I actually got Michael Bird and Mike Lacona to affirm the Facebook statement on biblical inerrancy. Well, that's, but that's, that's but what that's we call it. No dip. Why do you add those things other than what I just said? Huh? What benefit did you do for your definition of inerrancy over and above what I just said? Because mine accommodates, tr- mine accommodates the ways and means in which it intends to say it. So if it intends to say a certain thing that, that, that may not fit certain people's interpretation. See, the part of the problem that people have with that's, this... That's, that's not as... That's tighter than mine. My, you're saying it was more loosey-goosey than mine. You're adding another step above and beyond what mine is. Mine is just that whatever it's trying to teach, it's true. Yours mm-hmm. is not only is whatever it's trying to teach true, but the way it was said, even if that's not like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> I'm trying to say that if it doesn't intend to teach shit, in a, if it, 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 okay, so it, mine, the ways and means, it, various ways that the Bible communicates to us, various different literary genres and stuff. So the ways and means in which it uses to, to, to say things is something God's fine with. So if it was, so I allow, which this would not, I would allow that to say if 
you know, if something reflects a, an ancient person's view of the world, and no, and, and the that, Chicago statement would accommodate that. I know. I'm saying yeah. if if it, if it, if if something in Scripture, well, let's go to creation. Uh, if it looks like in Genesis chapter one that you've got six literal days and a young Earth creation model, are you saying that the Chicago statement would would say that's what it is? No, because this is it still one allows of, for the interpretation. This is one of the well, some of the interpretation. This is part of the problem that Michael Kona had with Norman Geisler because Norman Geisler every other day is a old Earth creationist, but that's what he told me. Right, but. On his website, he defends old Earth creationism as being within uh, this, but not allegorical. Well, no, no, no. Yeah, well, you can, uh, yeah, but I'm trying to get a sense. Right. And you're pointing to a contradiction in the pe- way people talk about it. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is, like, in general, if you were d- giving the Chicago Statement in a Sunday school classroom, mm-hmm. and you were an adherent of the Chicago Statement, mm-hmm. and you're trying to cast it in, like, this is the truth, this is how you should feel about it, what would you say about a passage where it sounds like it's saying something that, like, that the earth is young or something, man. Like, young earth, like, six literal days. What do they do with that? Are they allowed to do different things? Because I think they are. Well, okay. Again, this is part of the problem that people have with this. and mm-hmm. the, the charge is it dies with thousand does qualifications, and nobody can execute a text written in the late 70s. So why don't, we just, why don't we just go with, you're asking me. Well, no, I'm just saying. I'm telling you my... My interpretation. Here's what's going on, people. Or my inerrancy. Uh, you know, here's what's going on, people. Okay, so so Norman Geisler makes room in the Chicago Statement. He talks about he was one of the founding, not uh, original signatories. There's three left. Now there's two with R.C. Sproul gone. It's just him and Packer now mm-hmm. uh, were the original framers or whatever that are still there. And he insists that it's compatible with inerrancy for old earth creationism, just not anything Mike Lacona wants to say in the New Testament. Uh, answers in Genesis guy will say, "There's okay, the thing about evangelical, there's always someone to your right, and uh, Ken Ham's going to say, no, Norman Geisler, I, I don't care if you're a framer, you're violating inerrancy if you don't believe in young earth creation and you make room. Uh, as Mike Lacona played at his ETS thing, he played J.I. Packer, the original framer, who has an allegorical interpretation of Genesis 1 through 3, probably 1 through 11, and played the, the audio clip of him talking about, well, I mean, the the Genesis account uses a tree, so I'll use a tree, and it has a servant. I'll use. Did it ever happen? Yeah, who knows? So I mean, that's Packer. Does he say ah? Who knows? No, but I mean, I'm just giving okay, a that's paraphrase. Okay. That's why Mike Lycona used that thing because yeah. it comes off as so. So he's like, Do, does does Norman <clears throat> Geyser want to give J.I. Packer a pass for this allegory or whatever? So where are we going with this? So the point is, you have somebody like Mike Lycona who says. Uh, this is special effects for Matthew 27, 53 through 55, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the people leaving the tomb, he says this. Yeah, is, which okay. neither of us think that's right. I, I don't agree with it. I don't care. Though. We don't think he's going to hell for it. Right. Um, and I don't think it violates inerrancy. Right. Because he's not saying Matthew's wrong. He's saying right. we may be misunderstanding This is what Matthew, Matthew intended to say right. in the way he intended which, to say it. Oh, guess what? My definition that we should just all stick with, <laughs> the Braxton Hunter definition, is... The Bible is without error in all that it intends to teach. So we yeah. can argue about whether or not Matthew intended to use special effects right. and for everyone to understand that, or whether, no, he was trying to tell you that these people got up out of their graves and literally walked around and all that stuff. Uh, and and it's fine because we're still talking about something which both both offerings, both options 
are within the umbrella of the Braxtonian definition of inerrancy. Right, but the Facebook statement is more accommodating for this because what I say is it's true and everything that it's and without error and everything it says and the ways and manners in which it intends to say it. See, that second covers, part is why I don't, this is probably the no, most boring that's what thing it ever, but covers, I don't know why you're... It covers that Mike Lacona can argue that what Matthew intends to say is true in the way that he intended to say it. It's not without error, even if it's not a literal thing. It's apocalyptic and special. Well, yeah, but that guy, but you... But, but you would say to, to defend like mine still covers that. It's without error in all that it intends to teach. Does it? So intend if to it's teach apocalyptic literature, yeah. if it's historical narrative, what is if it it's poetic? To teach? Still, whatever it's intending to teach is yes, it's going to be packaged within a genre. What is it or a literary device? What is that intending to teach? Huh? If you let's say I you think did, it's intending to teach those dudes got up and walked. Well, around. I do too, but but you're you're <laughs> trying to say that your statement versus my statement, which yeah, I I, I agree that. Your statement not covers as, it uh, better than the Chicago statement covers it. But see, Mike Lacona tried to give. But a the defense. Chicago statement does say that he tried to give a defense from the Chicago statement, and then Norman Geiser said, "No." So I mean, that's why that I'm just saying, take your definition and my definition. What are you adding to it besides pointing out what everybody in the discussion knows, which is there are different genres and literary devices. Right. Part of the problem with the Chicago statement is that. Number one, people can't agree on what it means because uh-huh. apparently a lot of people affirm it and people say, no, you can't affirm it if you believe this interpretation or that interpretation or whatever. I, I don't, you and I don't care. You and I are like, my thing is, do I like the Chicago statement? Eh. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, yes and no. Just I have yes, but quibbles. Is is that yours? Well, I mean, I guess I agree that, that it shouldn't. I just think that it's. <clears throat> I understand that you need a big document to go into all the nuance, but yeah. I just think practically every day the Bible is without error in everything it intends to teach. I think the Bible is without error, error in everything that it says in the ways and manners that it intended to say it. Which I, I think that's just a rephrasing of what I said with and then adding in an unnecessary... Uh, point no, I'll tell you genre. What, I don't know why I'm arguing with you about this. Who cares? Go on. What's okay, the next well, point well, in, the, the, well, in the class? The, well, here's why. Because, Let's move on okay, in the class. Um, there's, a, there's a part of the uh, statement, is, uh, the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy is, is saying that inerrancy demands a grammatical historical interpretation. So movements in theology, like um, even within conservative theology, uh, say... Um, Kevin Van Hooser's project on theological interpretation of the Bible, which mm-hmm. uh, our buddy Ryan Putman has wrote kind of a, a, a complaint uh, or a challenge to that. Um, but there's a lot of conservatives who, who are like, well, grammatical historical interpretation alone doesn't get it. Even Malcolm Yarnell kind of wobbles on that in his... Uh, uh, I think this is all stuff loaded. Thing. I think yeah. this is all stuff being packaged in yeah. <clears throat> that doesn't need to be there. What right. do you mean when we say the Bible's inerrant? What? I can answer it. I already have. Well, but inerrancy itself is a compound concept. It is not a doctrine of isolation, but hinges on, is deduced by, or informed by your other doctrines, such as the doctrine of God and the doc- your doctrine of Scripture or whatever. Because inerrancy is a subset of the doctrine of Scripture. It's one thing that we have to say about, aside from being inspired and authoritative. Now, I agree with you, what you said earlier, that do you need an inerrant book to be authoritative? And I would defend my people, friends who reject inerrancy and say, no, you don't, because we have an employee handbook right. that's One of the most annoying things yeah. to me, and I've said this publicly, and I've said it many times, one of the most annoying things, because it's just illogical, is the claim that I probably said it when I was a pastor. Yeah. I don't know that I did, and I hope I didn't. 
but someone may be able to dig around and demonstrate that I did at some point. But when I get irritated with these pastors who say uh, something like, well, if one word in the Bible is false, then it's all false. Wait a minute. What? And some atheists will say that too. Not yeah. not the smart atheists. Bart Ehrman said somebody, that in Let's of Faith. But, but it's like, what, you need to, that doesn't make, that doesn't follow logically. Like logically, could I have a, could I have a history book yeah. that is mostly right, but gets one account or one date wrong? But, the, but that one date, does that mean the whole book is wrong? No, it means that one thing is wrong. Now, I don't believe that the Bible's wrong. But what I'm saying to you is that is absurd and doesn't follow logically. Uh, it's it's just the same thing as getting things out of order in your web of beliefs. It's like when people want to say, if the Bible has errors in it, or if the Bible has a lot of errors in it, then it means that Christianity is false. Hogwash. The fact is, the, the, the Bible being without error doesn't, or the Bible having errors in it does not mean that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead or God doesn't exist. <clears throat> I agree. This is, this is why W.V.O. Quine uh, puts together what's called the web of beliefs and says, if, and we've talked about this, but it's been a couple of years, yeah. where if, like with Bart Ehrman as an example, he found that he finds what he thinks is a contradiction in scripture. And so he takes it to his professor and his professor, it, it, as the story goes, is like, yeah, maybe. And so then Bart Ehrman's whole Christian worldview unravels. Well, what was the problem there? I'll tell you what the problem was. The problem, first of all, I don't think he found a contradiction. I don't think he found something that understood rightly is a contradiction according to the way that people wrote history or wrote whatever kind of literature it was. But whenever what he's done is he's put the in his web of beliefs, he put the inerrancy of Scripture closer to the center than he did his beliefs about God or the resurrection. So that when, well, I think he's still an agnostic. So the resurrection, Christology, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So that when inerrancy went, the whole web, the whole Christian web of beliefs fell apart. Whereas what should have happened is the belief in the resurrection should have been closer to the center, right. and the belief in biblical inerrancy should have been further out from the center, so that when biblical inerrancy went, okay, maybe the Bible has errors in it. I don't think so, but if I'm him, maybe the Bible has errors in it, but it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't rise from the dead or that God doesn't exist or that I don't exist or whatever else is in your web of beliefs. So I just don't get it. Now, some people watching might say, Oh, so Braxton thinks there are errors in the Bible. <laughs> no, dummy. Listen listen to me, Internet. See, when you take over, I become Pritchett. Listen to me, Internet. Listen to me, fundamentalists. Listen to me, my friends. The fact is, I believe what I believe about the Bible. I just understand that in the web of beliefs, in your worldview construction, it is not as central to the center of the web of beliefs as the beliefs in the resurrection or God's existence or frankly, my own existence. Yeah. Because if I find out that I don't exist, I got big problems in my <laughs> worldview. If right. I find out God doesn't exist, big problems. The resurrection, big problems. With the resurrection would go biblical inerrancy, right? Yeah. But with the biblical inerrancy does not go the resurrection. Right. The, the, the resurrection does not depend on... Too much coffee this morning. Yeah. I'm sorry. Are you scared? No. Calm, calm down. But, but, I'll calm myself okay. down. Okay, so... But, but all that was based on, well, if... If one thing's false, it's all false, and you don't you think that's, that's dumb? That's illogical. I, I agree, yes, and I agree. But what what I what I ask what I want, what, what clarity on here is if one thing is wrong, it's not authoritative. I don't believe that either. I don't either because we have an employee handbook that's I'm sure not 
inerrant. And you better follow it. it right. It's, <laughs> it has authority. And so what? I, so I would disagree with the point number five that I read earlier that the authority of Scripture rests solely on its entire inerrancy. And I'm like, even if you found, and, and again, now, I what don't, they could say that. And I, hold on, I want to make sure the camera hears me too. I believe in inerrancy. Uh, I believe most of the Chicago statement, I think, is, is way overdue for a revision in light of biblical studies and the fact that nobody can agree on what it means anymore, even though it was written in the late 70s in English. We can't exegete it and have anyone agree what's allowed within it. So I'm like, who cares about the Chicago statement? It's, 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 uh, it's now a battleground that I don't want to fight on. I don't care. Okay. I have my own Facebook okay. statement. Okay. Having said that, I don't believe that if one thing's... Uh, erroneous in it, it means it has no authority, just like going back to your history book analogy. Right. Um, or the laws of the state you live in. Right. Because, or whatever. Because uh, if it gets wrong about the number of chariots but what and, they're and Solomon's say, stable... No, I'm just saying, if it gets one thing, if there's if there's a contradiction um, that you can prove, which I, I don't know that you can, but if there's a contradiction that, that can't be harmonized or explained or whatever um, about the, the number of angels at the tomb, for example... Just throwing that out there. Does that mean that everything that about Jesus rising from the dead or that Paul says do not have promiscuous sex and be a fornicator, is all of that no longer authoritative? Well, of course not. So I don't... I'm with you. I don't, these, these grand claims about, well, if you can... You know, if you prove one thing wrong, then we can't... Our whole Bible's untrustworthy. That is a bit ridiculous. And you agree with that? Yeah, I think that should follow... I think anyone thinking about it very much should conclude that. Now, what they're going to say, though, what the actual more sophisticated response would be is, if it's got errors in it, then on what basis do we know that the rest is, does not also have errors or that the major things aren't in error or whatever like that? And that's a, that's a better... Well, now we got something to talk about, at least, right? Now we got yeah. something to talk about. And then what we do is we, we try to talk about the things that historians do when they talk about this. We try to look at the best explanation for what's being said. Is this something that somebody would have lied about? Is it in their best interest to lie about it? Is it, you know, principle of embarrassment, independent, you know, accounts of the same event? Uh, things like that that help you know that what's being said is true. And, and I'll tell you, the reason that I believe that the Bible is authoritative, um, aside from, you know, just living my life, uh, and reading it and and having a bit of a presupposition that it's authoritative, I'll tell you this, that presupposition may be what began the whole thing, but the fact is, the more and more I see it vindicated in its historical statements, its uh, navigational statements, the locations of particular towns and islands and uh, uh, people groups, uh, you know, these kind of things... Uh, you know, the Hittites, for example, there's a long time they didn't think the Hittites ever existed. Then one day we find out, oh, there were the Hittites. You know, these kind of things vindicate the Bible, and it has happened enough that now I think the onus is on somebody else to show me that it's not authoritative or that it gets enough wrong that it shouldn't be considered authoritative. Or for me, that it gets something wrong when certain motifs and literary devices are understood. For example, uh, the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gospels takes a lot of brain power for him to go through his PowerPoint, but so I'll keep talking. But the Gospels, you know, there are things. I was just waiting for you to, uh, There are things. There are difficulties breath. in the. I didn't know I had this much to say about this until I opened my mouth. But the the Gospels have what people see as contradictions in them, mm-hmm. and the, and you go to someone like Norman Geisler if you want to see those harmonized, right? Uh, but even if they weren't able to be harmonized, 
everyone who's been interested in apologetics for very long and, and has studied this subject within apologetics has heard it said, ancient peoples didn't write history or biography the way that we do today. And what sometimes happens, although I'll admit this is the low-hanging fruit, what they'll do is skeptics uh, or, people, or liberal Christians or whatever might say, um, look, uh, the fact of the matter is they don't write history in a chronological way with no problems or whatever, therefore that's not reliable history. When that is to hold ancient peoples to a standard of history writing that is modern, and that's a bit provincial and temporally provincial, that they should have to write history the way we do. But let's take that up a notch. In Mike Lycona's new book, um, Why Are There Differences in the Gospels? He actually points out, by looking at other classicalist literature, that there were devices, some of which we weren't aware of until at least one, until his book. He comes up with one, Spotlighting, and points out that they had, but some of them were, were we've been aware of, these, these devices that they used at the time in the first century and that the gospel writers used. And so when you understand those, what may sound like a contradiction, it wasn't a contradiction. They weren't confused about what they were saying. That's just how people wrote back then. So there's all kinds of great answers right, to this, right, and whoa, it's the dumb whoa, whoa, statement that people just drop out of the sky yeah. that it, if it's not the way we write history or there's what appears like a contradiction, well, then you can't trust it. Stop being so provincial. Okay, but then you have people like Lydia McGrew writing epically long blog posts that I will never read in their entirety, and I don't, I, 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 I don't uh, care much about the way she... She spends more time arguing with... Uh, real Christians than, that are doing real work than she does doing apologetics. But I'll set that aside. Sorry, Tim. Uh, but she writes these epic blog posts sounding alarm bells that Mike Lacona's approach undermines the Gospels, and we can't trust the Gospels if we believe Mike Lacona's, what he's saying, and what he's saying about the Gospels makes it look like, well, it's filled with errors because, uh, you know, that's the wrong way to do this kind of thing. And then, and And as we said... Do you smell something chemical in here? There is some kind of a smell of... Uh, we may die today, folks. I don't know. So so some people but, are... But gonna, I do, like we said last object. week. Well, like we said last week. Not just object, but the world's coming to an end and the Bible well, is falling apart in your face no, no, no. if you believe Mike Lacombe. Like we said last week, I think probably the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think some of the things can be harmonized and should be harmonized. I think some of the time it's a literary device that was present in the day that we don't use now. Which is everything right. Michael Lacona said. And, right. I, and but, I'm telling you, there's Lydia McGrews out there. Um, and if you want a response to uh, uh, our friend Kurt Jaros, who's also uh, Jaris. Jaris, like Jaris. Paris. Jaris. Yeah, Jaris like Paris. Which Kurt is Jaris how I've wrote always a response pronounced to her it. whining about Mike Lacona. Like, uh, you know, the, the way when when he, he did a better job uh, than... than um, I did when I started sounding off at Northern Geyser for his drivel eight years ago or whenever it was. I like Northern Geyser. Uh, I, I, I don't like Norman Geisler's attitude. And I don't like Lydia McGrew's attitude. Lydia, change oh, your agree. attitude. I agree, but, it, but I, I, think, I think that Christian apologetics in the 21st century owes Geisler a lot. I think he's done a lot mm -hmm. uh, for us. But I do agree with you that um, he's not been the way he ought to be with respect to certain other apologists right. and biblical scholars. And I want to get to this because this is the segue. way... Is this why you want to do this show? Right. You're bamboozling me and you're bamboozling Geisler. The inerrancy defenders 
even though I've been somewhat are, passionate are, are on the show, words. I do not endorse this sort of uh, a line. You're don't become the monster to defeat the monster. Don't become. He endorses every word of it, or he wouldn't be on the show. So the thing is, we'll find out. <laughs> the, the thing is, <laughs> so what I'm saying is, it. all of these people who want to defend inerrancy, or at least a Chicago statement version of it, spend their time attacking Christians who are actually doing real apologetics, and. The Christians who are doing real apologetics, the people you like, William Lane Craig, Mike Lacona, and all of these guys, whenever this is what I want to get to, every time inerrancy comes up or something related to the issue of inerrancy in a debate, these apologists say, well, tonight's debate's not about inerrancy, so even though you listed about 20 different things where the Bible looks contradictory, I'd love to talk to you about those, but we'll do that some other time. We're going to keep doing this. And to some people, it looks like, see... They do throw inerrancy under the bus. We're right to call these people out. We're right to call out Blomberg. We're right to call out Lacona and William Lane Craig and everyone on Geisler's Naughty List because they get in these debates and then they're like, well, we're not going to talk about that tonight. We're going to stick to the topic of this, that, or the other. And they never uh, bring out the harmonizations. Part of the reason is because a lot of those harmonizations don't work. Uh, like Jesus cleared the temple twice. Which gospel says that? Everyone says he did it once, just at different times. Uh, in, from John in the Synoptics. And so some people, they harmonize that where Jesus clears the temple twice, but there's no gospel writer that was inspired to write that. Yeah, but the, but so, so they don't trot that stuff out in debates because they know it's not going to get any good. So why do they do that? And, and is the criticism, like you said, don't you understand why they do that? Don't you understand, speaking, you're an apologist, you represent these people uh, for the sake of this conversation. Should they continue to say, we're not going to get into that. I'm not going to answer that question. And by the way, before you answer that, the presuppositionalists who are out there, we presuppose the Bible's true and inerrant and all that, they never defend it either. Cy Brugenkate's like, well, uh, I'll have a Bible study with you once you're a Christian. Or, or uh, yeah. uh, uh, the guy I debate, Sonny, what's his name, uh, with Dan Barker. Well, I'm not going to talk to you about all that stuff because you don't have... So he, you know, he just ripped from the Bible, Yahweh, and then they're like, no. And then uh, James White... Uh, in his debates, he, he will say, well, we have a difference in presuppositions, but he'll never actually explain the inconsistencies that their opponents are pointing out. No apologist does. And is that because, A, they want to stay on topic, or B, they're nervous about their the, the defenses, or C, some of both? Well, I, I, I wanted to say something that has nothing to do with that first. Okay. Um, first of all, with the temple... Uh, twice, what? That's a perfect example of what I th I agree with you, and that's a perfect example of where I think there's some of the Mike Lycona type stuff in what about the Gospels or right. why are there differences in the Gospels, and then there are some harmonizations. Um, so I I still think I have the reasonable approach, and everyone to the left and right is crazy. Um, but <laughs> uh, but here but here's the thing on that answer. No, I I mean I I do believe. Sometimes it depends on the apologist. Sometimes the apologist doesn't know how to answer the question, and so that's an easy way to get off the hook. That sometimes, okay. I don't doubt that that happens to some people, because sometimes certain kinds of apologists are so philosophically interested that they don't know the Bible really all that well. That's one of my big complaints. Um, but sometimes it's because they want to stay on target. I do think that's true. So, for example, if William Lane Craig is bringing an argument from design and the response is, yeah, but the atrocities of the Old Testament, 
you know. Or this <laughs> gospel says this and that gospel says right. that. And we're talking about the argument from design. Because guess what? Craig has done debates before where it's just, does God exist? And there's not even a, uh, we're not even pinning it to the Christian God, which there's a whole other issue about that that we could be talking about. Yeah. But here's the thing. Trust if me, someone, this is dump apologetics if, if someone, season. If so. someone brings up, if someone brings up the atrocities of the Old Testament or slavery or or whatever, uh, when he's doing that, uh, guess what, folks? William Lane Craig is well within his rights to say, uh, yeah, that's a red herring. We're talking about this, and we need to stay on topic, and we're not even here defending the, the inerrancy of Scripture tonight. And if you were right, all you would have done is to attack the inerrancy of Scripture when tonight we're trying to demonstrate that God exists, right? So, yeah, I think that's perfectly reasonable. And, in fact, in my first debate ever— uh, with Daniel Alvarez, that very thing happened. He starts bringing up uh, the atrocities of the Old Testament and all this, and I say that very thing. And you know what happens? He goes back and he's like, oh, well, so you just don't believe the Old Testament. I'm like, no, that's not what we're doing here. Yeah. What's happening is we have a limited amount of time in a debate. We have a two-hour slice of time in our lives, you and I, to have this conversation publicly for people that have gone to the trouble of coming here and sitting. So you better believe that we need to keep it laser-focused on the objective. Right, and here's here's my thing. If you don't like Mike Lacona's method, well, he's out there defending it when atheists, on the resurrection, it comes up. Gospels are not reliable because of X, Y, and Z, right? There's there's too many contradictions in them or whatever. And he defends it using his method, okay? And, and, and other people... Um, but we don't have a whole lot of apologies. If somebody challenged you to a debate, not did Jesus rise from the dead, not does God exist, someone says, Braxton Hunter, I want to debate you on the Bible is riddled with contradictions, and you know he went to 1001 contradictions in the Bible.com to get the whole everything. Would you take that debate? I don't know. Because, see, part of it is I actually do think sometimes mm -hmm. That the best thing. See, I don't know exactly what I'd do these days because I I do actually think sometimes the apologist, even though it will be to follow the red herring, it will be to to go off the map from the subject of the debate. If you know the answer, why not give the answer? Now, maybe I will, maybe I won't. I don't know. No, I mean a debate I, strictly on contradictions. Right, of the Bible. but if it's just a debate on contradictions of the Bible, I don't know. The Bible's full of contradictions. Yes or no? Well, no. Yeah, I don't believe it is either. I'm saying, yes or no, would you take the debate? And who's the person to take that debate these days besides people like Mike Lacona who have methods that make other people nervous? Not me. I, Mike, you're great. It's fine. I don't, I'm not bothered by it. Why do you keep bringing up Mike Lacona? Well, I'm just saying he's like the he's like the locust of all... Of, he is the source he's of the all the locust. evangelical ills. He's the locust? <laughs> the, locust. the locust of Revelation. He's the locust of all... <laughs> yeah. That's what I said. Okay, well, they can listen back. Okay. Go ahead. He's a locust. <laughs> I talk funny. I'm it's from fine. It's fine. He is the locust of all it's the evangelical the ills. Uh, okay, Daryl Bach. They hate him, too. Everyone on Geisler's naughty list. Doug Moo's even on it. Kevin, I mean, you know, crazy. Crazy. I dude. don't think I would take a debate on that, no. Right. But the only people who will are the people that these the evangelicals complain about. So I'm saying... Um, would you? Huh? Would you? I think it's a loser. What's the point? If you don't, this is where I will actually give the Cy Bruton K to pass. You don't even believe that God exists. Why, why worry about what you think about the Bible? You know? And that's the other thing. And a lot of these things is one of the complaints about the Chicago State of Biblical Inerrancy is that it dies the death of a thousand qualifications, which is why people are just kind of weird about it. 
It's one of the complaints well, about it. So as you're like, so it's like, so they bring up, you agree on five contradictions for the debate. Their argument is five. Yes, it contradicts. Here's five. You limit it to five. And then you started They did two in the book on biblical inerrancy. The five views book. Yeah, they, they did, did two accounts. Jericho, and then did did some other deity give Yahweh and a bunch of other gods various chunks of land. I don't think that was it. Yeah, that was one of was the that two. One of yeah. Them? Okay. Um, yeah, I don't. I, what are what are we talking about? Uh, so so somebody in a debate. Mm-hmm. Picks, we're going to argue about these five contradictions. I'm going to affirm all five are contradictions, and you're going to defend that they're not. You're taking the negative. They're not contradictions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So somebody takes a debate like that, and then they're going to start saying, depending on what the five are, well, there's this literary device, or, well, they were speaking colloquially, and the Chicago Statement says that that's not a contradiction, and this is not a contradiction because we have, we, 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 we've qualified this part, we've qualified that part, we call it. And does that, would that be convincing to an audience of skeptics? I don't know. I mean, who knows? I, that's why I don't. I'm that's eva- why I'm saying it's, I'm interested you know, in evangelism, right. And apologetics. Believe in the. So th- this, th- I mean, if I'm talking to someone personally, one on one, and the reason they're not a Christian is is what I don't think is a good reason. Yeah. But is because they think they have what they call an error in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Then I'll talk to them about that if I think it's genuine and it's a person that I'm in front of. But a debate on that subject, I don't know. I, I don't. Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus rose, I'll say what Michael Icona says. If Jesus rose from the dead, Christianity is true, period. And the only thing I'll say as a classical apologist is because God's existence makes the resurrection more reasonable, if God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead, Christianity is true, period. And you know what? That's what people need to know. Yeah, but you go go further than that. And I like it that you go further than that. Because you say if Jesus rose from the dead, then what Jesus said was true. Oh yeah, I Jesus, give that. I give yeah. that as a as a little simple. Give it. Thing. Well, okay. Th- this is not an argument. I would not use this in a debate. This is just a little simple uh, parlor trick type thing. <laughs> just talking to someone who's just see. That's where that's where people would uh, anyway. Go it's ahead. practical. Yeah. I just say, look, the biggest the biggest miracle claim in the yeah. Gospels is the resurrection of Jesus. There are other miracle claims. There's the turning of water into wine. There's the virgin birth. There's all these kind of things. But the biggest miracle claim is the resurrection. Not just biggest in terms of like seemingly the most difficult to hoax or something, but also in terms of importance. And, G- and Paul tells us that, uh, that if Jesus be not raised, we of all men are most miserable, right? So it's important. It's also the centerpiece of the Christian faith uh, in terms of a historical centerpiece. And it's also, I think, the centerpiece of this little argument here. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then we know that the biggest miracle claim in the Gospels is true. What does that mean? That means that we have good reason, and this is not a slam dunk, we're just talking here. But that means that we have good reason to believe that the lesser miracle claims are probably true. If they were telling us the truth about the biggest miracle claim, they're probably telling us the truth about the lesser miracle claims, like the turning of the water into wine, the healing of someone's sight, or whatever. So we have good reason to believe that the Gospel authors are telling us the truth. You know, It doesn't give you inerrancy, but it gives you... This is, seems to be a, a real account, right? Okay, so if you can trust the Gospels, then that's then you can trust Luke. And if you can trust Luke, then you can trust the book of Acts because Luke, the same author, whether you think it's Luke or not, the same author wrote uh, the book of Acts. And the central figure for the second half of the book of Acts is the Apostle Paul. So this trustworthy author 
um, of the book of Acts is telling you that you can trust the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul uh, wrote many of the remaining books of the New Testament and the other like general epistles um, are are either some of those same people or they're not reporting anything that theologically uh, or in terms of miracle claims is any big deal compared to what's already been established. So if you can believe that the resurrection happened, I think that you have a reasonable case for believing or good evidence for believing that the New Testament is true. But if you can believe the resurrection is true, then you can also believe what the Bible says in Luke chapter 24 verses you know, ish, um, where, he, where he says, everything that's written about me in the law, uh, the writings, and the prophets concerning me, right? right? So those are the three divisions. Those are three divisions in the Old Testament. And in fact, oh wait, they are the entirety of the Old Testament. And so here you have Jesus affirming that you can trust that the whole Old Testament. So if you can believe that the resurrection is true, and there's a lot more you say if you want to really develop this case, and I have a lecture somewhere where I've done that, but if you, if you believe the resurrection is true, then you have a, a, a decent case for believing that the whole Bible is reliable. Now, it doesn't get you to inerrancy, but I think it's a good start. Yeah. And so for me, to, to sum up, to close it down here, um, for me, I think that evangelicals should believe that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, and authoritative. And I think that here, inspired, here. inspired and authoritative and then inerrant would be the order that I'd put them in. Inspired, mm-hmm. authoritative, inerrant. Um, I don't believe that you have to subscribe to the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, and I don't believe you have to subscribe to a particular brand of hermeneutics. We have to remember that the Antiochian school which uh, of interpretation in the ancient church is the closest thing we have to the, the grammatical historical, that you have the Alexandrian school, it's all over the place, and there's a lot of fluidity affirm, between the two, and they affirm. all affirmed the central doctrines of the Christian faith that we affirm today, even though they had different exegetical and hermeneutic methods. Now, I believe that you should affirm those things. Uh, I, I agree that I, under, I understand why some people get nervous, settle down, um, and I understand why apologists in these formal debates, while I understand why people complain about them, why they don't go down those rabbit trails. Yeah. But I do think that it would behoove us to raise up more apologists like Mike Lacona and, and keep working on the problem. Uh, um, Mike would agree with this on let's, let's handle these. Do, do what he's done with the, the Gospels to the rest of the New Testament, to the Old Testament, whatever. Keep finding ways to, to, to harmonize and to, to explain seemingly troublesome passages or whatever. And let's, I think we need to have more debates on, on, on that and take take up skeptics just on those issues separate from the debates in the meantime, that it's a side trip. In the meantime, just affirm yeah. the Braxtonian statement on biblical inerrancy. No, the Facebook statement. The, bi- the Facebook, that's so... The Facebook like, statement has... What's, Mike- with the, what's, what's with the buzz marketing for Facebook in the midst of your inerrancy no, statement? No, because that's what we call No, it. that's ridiculous. Mine the has Braxtonian signatories. statement on biblical inerrancy. The Bible is without error in all that it intends to teach. Done. It encapsulates his weird social network uh, my, my, I have signatories. I have. That's that's what you should call it. The social statement on biblical. Inerrancy. Okay, fine. We'll call it that. But it has it has Michael Still Bird endorsing better. it and Michael Flacona endorsing it. So I got two endorsements. So my don't, statement. Don't you know, need them. I have signatories. Don't need them. He, he made don't this care. Up, you know. No, I I'm I'm proud to have Mike Flacona and Michael Bird affirming my statement on inerrancy. So you should affirm inerrancy no matter how you define it. The Bible is. True. If you'd like without to get, error. if you'd like to get a, a T-shirt from the Trinity Commission, uh, again a trademark Trinity uh, Radio V-neck with the names of the shows on the back. 
Trinity mm-hmm. Radio, Bible Brodown, Soteriology 101, and The Narrow Path, who are also our sister podcast, who you should listen to, then just become... I hope I haven't messed this up too bad, get it wrinkled. But uh, go ahead and become a $25 patron today, and we Click. will ship that bad boy up there. off to you. Yeah. Um, Where is it? Yeah, you can, you can yeah. Uh, if you're looking on the YouTube video, just click somewhere up around here, somewhere up here, uh, and, uh, and you'll see it. And then if you're listening by audio, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash trinityradio. Also, uh, give us a review on iTunes. By the way, some of you all have given us reviews on iTunes, and it has meant so much to us, and we've read some of those off, off on the show. If you didn't hear yours, go back and listen to the entire Trinity Back catalog, and you'll find it somewhere. And um, we'd love for you all to do that some more. That's really helpful to us. Also, go subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's not hard. Just go click subscribe. Even if you're an audio listener, just pull a car over right now. Your wife's going to say, what in the world is going on? You're going to say, just hold on, sister. I got something I got to take care of. It matters. And then just go over there and click that subscribe button, and we'll be thrilled. But most of all, you need to come to Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary at trinitysem.edu and talk to us about beginning your theological journey. Where are I we said, affirm inerrancy? I said yes, and I said most of all, but it's not most of all. Most of all, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, contact us today. We'll talk to you about coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because for us, it is all about Jesus, and it's all about evangelism. Is that right, Dr. Bridget? That is correct. We'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. If you would like more content, click here. And keep watching Bible Studies click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.